We bring you this special radio television broadcast in order to give you the very latest information on an amazing phenomenon. Just a minute, ladies and gentlemen, I think something is happening. Good evening. I hope you'll excuse me if I appear a trifle excited. We're only interested in one thing. Can you tell a story, Bob? Can you make us laugh? Can you make us cry? Can you make us want to break out? Enjoy us all. We move fast. Can you take it? No matter what you do now, you're still part of everything that's happening. Used to be in silent pictures. Used to be big. I am big. It's the pictures that got small. We need more heart in motion pictures. You know how to whistle, don't you, Steve? Just put your lips together and blow. Listen to me, Hatcher. You gotta tell him. I just wanna say one word to you. Just one word. Are you listening? The Boulevard of Broken Dreams. We're making another movie. This is the one I'll be remembered for. Welcome to the Sorted Cinema Podcast. This week we're going to be taking a look at 2020's The Hunt, written by Nick Cuse and Damon Littleoff and directed by Craig Zobel. Here's a clip. Okay, this is Gary for USA. He's got a podcast called The Confederate Files. He's a P-score, 8.5. What? What does that P stand for again? Piece of shit. I vote in. 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 Another in. Okay. Oh, oh gross. Big game, Shane. Trigger warning, I'm oh, sorry. Oh. I think the pick speaks for itself. It's an 8.8. In. Guys, we can't include everybody, okay? Thousands of people posted about Manor Gate, so... Christ. It's a gate now? Well, they ruined water and pizza. Why not manners? Listen, I want to slaughter all of them just like everybody else here, okay? But our military consultant says we got to cap it out at 12. Why? It's our first time. Safety reasons, okay? Oh, Heavens. God forbid somebody gets hurt. Is that a kimono? That's appropriation, Richard. Hey, we're at Liberty and Ted. In therapy. Jesus. They lost everything, which they, they lost their jobs and their reputations. So did I, Miranda. But I'm dealing with it with, you know, drugs and alcohol like a normal person. Excuse me, did anyone else here get reassigned to Croatia? No? No? Because I did. It was a blessing in disguise. We're gonna build that gas station for pennies. There's Next no slide. Oh, whoa, whoa. Jesus, no. Oliver. No. Listen, no. listen, listen, listen. If we don't have at least one person of color in this, it is going to be problematic. Um, I'm playing an Arab refugee. I'm from Connecticut. Isn't that a little problematic? That was your idea. It was your idea. It was weird when you because said it. Because we need to lean in to the stereotype. Correct. To let them just expose their biases. Yeah, or we can just shoot them as soon as they grab their guns. Then they're not going to know why we're killing them. Okay? Next we have the opportunity slide. To... All right, that was a clip from The Hunt. Again, written by Nick Cuse and Damon Lindelof and directed by Craig Zobel. Zobel? We had a little debate. About that. Uh, joining me today, uh, as always, is Ricky D. What's up, Patrick? I had a hard time searching this movie before I watched it because there's like 2,000 movies named The Hunt, and there's about five of them of which were made in the past like seven years. Uh, it is a little difficult when you just put it in Google. Also joining us today is Simon Howell. Simon, did you have any problems with that? Kaka! Nope, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? I had no idea that this movie was actually out because I remember Simon told me about this movie like two years ago. I don't know what the controversy was. I mean, I can imagine what the controversy was. It was ridiculous. Is what was it, it was. because there was a shooting? Is that it? There was like a school shooting? Yes, yes. That's well, yeah. I was shooting in El Paso, um, Texas. Oh, yeah. my, 
it was supposed to be released at the end of 2019. I think it was back in September or so of 2019. And, you know, they had to delay it for, for various reasons because rhetoric obviously uh, was at an all-time high and maintained that peak for at least another year. Okay, okay. So it's it's more like the studio decided it wouldn't be a good time to release the movie and therefore they decided to wait in order to not damage or hurt its box office sales? Yeah, it was a lot of it seemed like it was a lot of reasons that led to it, including the then president of the United States commenting on it. I mean, for some reason, this movie was drawing people's attention. Trump watched the movie. It, no, it, it Trump, probably drew too much attention. <laughs> let's let's be clear. Donald Trump did or does not watch movies. There's a famous anecdote about him watching Kickboxer and fast forwarding the, the parts where people are talking, which actually I think is fair. Uh, with kickboxer yes yeah. that's not fair you should watch the whole movie before you judge it but in this case there was a lot of rhetoric surrounding this movie period before it finally got to him and then he pet then he mentioned it in his speech I, it just for whatever what? reason for this real? movie this movie's trailer caused a lot of stir in this country simply because wait a minute the political parties have been at odds for so long here and it, it kind of riled things up the, the the problem was they had this initial fracas where Trump got involved, and uh, so then they delayed it, and then by the time they were ready to, they'd rejigged the marketing to include all the stuff about how you know controversial and blah 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 the film was, and they you know they they really that that became the angle in the advertising, but by the time they got that all together. It was COVID season, so they were screwed again. This was the last movie I saw before everything shut down. I, I saw this movie, I think, uh, on a Saturday night, and by Monday, theaters were gone. Like, everything was now shut down. So this it, it released at the exact wrong time. <laughs> okay, but I can understand them wanting to delay the release of the movie if there was a shooting that makes sense. But I thought it was because people were just really uber-sensitive about what about the characters in the movie, which I think is silly. But if it's because of the school shooting, that makes sense. There was this wild perception that this movie was going to stir up, you know, political hatred even more in this country. And this, as we'll get to, I'm sure, I don't think this movie could stir up any hatred, to tell you the no. truth. It's it's not that cutting. It's entertaining, but it's not that cutting. So, I don't know. It was just, it was completely, a, a complete overreaction, and just uh, this movie was lost in the carnage of of uh, the discourse here in this country at the time really it, it in in retrospect what they probably should have done as long as we're just talking about the marketing is like really they were they would have been better off first of all not calling it the hunt uh and <laughs> and second of all um really they, they they should have just not marketed the political aspects of the movie at all um and just like marketed it as like a fun like you know, action comedy that's kind of gruesome and kind of funny, and like not really worried about that angle at all. Just because people don't want to see that in movies, they just don't right now. They don't want more discourse out of their movies. They just want to be entertained. And in the end, the critics may have also uh, helped out a little bit if it wasn't marketed as this incredibly biting, you know, satire. Uh, the critics might have been a little gentler with their reviews not that anybody was overly harsh about it but most didn't find it to be particularly satiric so well the critics are split it's divided if you go on rotten tomatoes it it has a 50 percent rating which is interesting yeah 
I think they really could have marketed, uh, like Simon says, the fun, sort of this, the fun aspects of this, but also the lead performance. Play her up in the ads, and you may have people going to see this, more people going to see this movie. Yeah, we'll get there. Just to be clear, I think this is one of the best films of 2020. I love this movie. I'm not a huge fan of sociopolitical satires, but I love horror comedies, dark thrillers. I love The Most Dangerous Game. I love movies like The Most Dangerous Game. For example, The Hunger Games, Hard Target, The Running Man, The Tenth Victim, Battle Royale, Lord of the Flies, Series 7. Remember that movie? Turkey mm-hmm. Shoot. Has anyone seen Turkey Shoot? Or no. remember The Human Race about the dude on one leg? Love these movies. It also reminds me of a 1995 movie called The Last Supper, which I wanted to review on oh, the podcast. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I wanted to review it last year because it celebrated an anniversary, never got around to it. But in The Last Supper, basically a group of liberals invite a group of conservatives over for dinner only they end up poisoning everyone because they refuse to agree with their political views. Anyhow, I love all of these movies. And I also love Animal Farm. Um, So, like, I just ended up loving this movie. It's an intense, over-the-top action thriller. It's really, really funny. I don't think the movie takes itself seriously from, like, the opening scene. Come on, I mean, someone gets killed and murdered with a high heel shoe. I, I think this movie is full of clever fake-outs, creative kills, over-the-top gore, wild misdirections, surprising twists, unexpected turns. It never holds back on poking fun at anyone who believes in conspiracy theories and takes it too far. But what I really love about the movie is it really attacks people who assume things. And that is my biggest pet peeve it's something that drives me wild is when someone assumes something about someone before actually knowing the person so i don't know i had a i had a blast watching this movie in fact i watched this movie on the very last day of 2020 right before it was my it because like we couldn't go out on new year's eve right so i sat i sat back and i watched a few movies and this was the last movie i watched in 2020 uh, I, I, I think I started watching at 9 o'clock. It's only 90 minutes long, so it finished right before midnight. Love this movie. Simon, uh, so me too. I'm, I'm kind of in the same boat on this. I, I saw it. I was the most entertaining movie by far I saw last year. Um, I, you know, there are movies that I might consider to be better. It's not the most slickly shot, you know, thing ever, but it does have a fantastic lead performance and a, a witty enough script that I even watching it again a couple days ago, was still laughing out loud at, um, it is a funny movie. I think it does have, like you said, some clever edits that make it even funnier. But for me, um, that lead performance is, uh, it just holds everything together. Um, what's your thoughts on this, Simon? Well, I think this is another way they absolutely screwed themselves. We were talking about marketing earlier, and you're right, uh, Patrick. I think we're all going to be in agreement, actually, that like the best reason to see this movie is because of Betty Gilpin. Yes. Um, I've never seen Glow. I'm sure I've seen her in something before, um, but like I cannot recall the last time someone made a debut as sort of like an action hero lead that was so impactful. To me personally. Hold um, on. Hold on. What? Betty Gilpin's Crystal, aka Snowball. I would put her alongside Samara Weaving's Grace from Ready or Not. 
Those two characters, iconic. I don't know about iconic. Iconic. But, uh... In 10 years, they are going to make the list of best final girls in movies released in the past like 20 years type thing. So, so when I say they shot themselves in the foot, um, you, you can't, from what I remember, you can't tell from the marketing who the protagonist is. Mm-hmm. That's and, correct. And the movie also, uh, in, in a way that easily eats up like 20 minutes of screen time, um, has at least three or four false protagonists uh, that get introduced in the opening scenes. They have Yoga Pants as a potential lead, and I believe she was the one that was focused on in, Wait, in the trailer. Is Yoga about. Pants Emma Stone? Emma yeah. Roberts. Emma Roberts, yeah. Emma Roberts, she's yeah. in this movie? Yes. Briefly. For like five minutes. Um, <laughs> Who's the, Emma Roberts? The... Oh my god, I'm getting confused at Emma Stone and Emma Roberts again. Okay, okay. Yeah, it happens. Um, yeah, so so of course, they couldn't, they decided, because of their own silly approach that they couldn't leverage the best part of the movie in the marketing uh which yeah again they they were both screwed and they screwed themselves in various different ways um but you know patrick already alluded to this and i think it's true the politics of this movie are totally i wouldn't say completely inscrutable but i wouldn't say that the film is is making or even really trying to make any coherent points about like american political culture other than um, as Ricky kind of alluded to, uh, the sort of like warped prism effects of internet culture, um, it the movie is definitely condemning. Well, it's extremist. It's anyone that says anything that's so extreme to make a point. Well, it's also that, but it's it's kind of poking fun of what each side thinks of the other. <clears throat> it it takes liberal ex- liberal elitism to the extreme, and it takes well, local yokels to the extreme. <laughs> the 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 novelty of the movie isn't isn't that it condemns both sides or anything. Uh, you no. know, lots of, lots of things do that. Um, you know, South Park has been doing this for like 20 years, uh, if not longer. Um, the, the novelty is really just, you know, the film was uh, directed by Craig Zobel and written by Damon Lindelof and Nick Hughes, who people will know from The Leftovers and Watchmen and things like that. Damon Lindelof is not, by any stretch of the definition, a conservative, which is why... I found the whole initial fracas over the movie to be very confusing because I think a a lot of people saw the trailer and assumed, uh, again, we're here with assumptions, that the film was made by conservatives because it depicts liberal villainry. Um, And the novelty of the movie is that it is a film made by liberals that is primarily poking fun at liberals people assume that the movie was one thing without even watching the movie so if anything the movie's poking fun of how people react to movies before even watching the movie you need to sit down watch the movie the hilarious part about this though is we're assuming that people assumed that it was uh an an anti-liberal movie i'm actually referencing review articles i've read in youtube videos where people were like super pissed off no, I know, but the initial reaction in this country and the reason why uh, you know, Donald Trump criticized the movie is mm-hmm. because it was initially perceived to be an anti-conservative movie. <laughs> it wasn't just him, though. There were a lot of people that were thinking that this was going encouraging liberals to go after conservatives. This is the beauty of the movie. Misperception has misperception's been all over this movie. But this That's is all. why all people suck, because we all assume things. <laughs> we all suck. Well, and 
at Ricky, the the reason that I I, sh- I should crack the case here that the reason you love movies where people where humans hunt other humans is because you don't like humans. We've been yeah, over I've this. said this many times. Like it, it should be dogs <laughs> that rule the world. Like I can't get mad when everyone in this movie is a bad person. Like it doesn't take sides. I like it when a movie doesn't choose sides. Again, like the the thing about the thing about a snowball crystal is in the end, and when I when I'm speaking of snowball, I'm talking about the lead actress here, Betty Gilpin. Her character, along with Hilary Swank's character Athena, like what is Athena, the goddess of war? Yeah, they, they, it's really not. It's not laid on subtly. Whatever. Anyhow, no. <laughs> when she realizes that she actually chose the wrong crystal, it's like she actually realizes that she just assumed things, took it a little too far. Again, it's about people being on the extreme of a one little side. too far. Yes, a little too <laughs> far. Just a little too far. <laughs> The justifications in this movie are hilarious, by the way, for, for what people's actions are. That's what I love about the movie. I like I like how it pokes fun of us as people, how we assume things, how we like to justify our actions. It's 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 silly. Like it really is. And like the whole divide between one group of people and the next group of people, everyone in this movie, except for maybe her, is a terrible person. The only reason why I say she's not a terrible person, even though technically she goes and kills everyone but she's defending herself it's because we don't know anything about her it's hard for us to even assume anything about her i think the only background we're given of her is she was in the military and her dad is still alive and her mom is still alive that's all we know and she worked she worked at a car rental agency and she considers herself crazy that she's got she's got something inside her that makes her want to blow off steam like for her this is almost a venting thing that she just sort of happened to luck into in a way isn't she from mississippi She's from Mississippi, yeah. That explains it all. <laughs> well, the thing is, like, she's one of the, she's the only character that actually is not involved in any of this. She's not online making whatever wild claims. Well, we don't she's know. The, we could only assume. Well, exactly. I guess I am making an assumption here. It's never that information's never given to us. But she's kind of like outside the fray and gets caught caught up in it. But seems to be having fun with. It. But you never know what Betty, what uh, Snowball's politics are in this movie. Whereas every other character is stating what side that they're on. You don't actually know what hers are. We can make an assumption because of a southern draw. Isn't that the whole point of the ending? The fact that she survives because she's in the middle? I mean, isn't that why she tells us the story about the jackrabbit? Maybe. I don't know. I think she tells us the story about the jackrabbit because it's foreshadowing what she's going to do. <laughs> We're, we're sort of getting in the weeds about like what the film's politics maybe really are, um, which I think is a trickier question. Like what exactly do Damon Lindelof and Nick Hughes believe about uh, America, America's direction uh, and where things are going and what can be done about it? I think my answer to that question is I have no idea because this is not one of those films that offers constructive solutions to, uh, to pressing issues. This is really just, and I think this is like sort of the weakest aspect of the movie, is they're there to just kind of push a lot of buttons and not really not really mind too much what happens after the buttons are pressed, just kind of move on to more buttons. Um, and I think that makes the, the satirical aspect kind of like not so great most of the time. I mean, I think you're right, but I think there's something about the ending that if you dig deep enough, you will you will you will know what exactly it is that these writers wanted to say. Like, I mean, for example, the champagne bottle. What is the story with the champagne bottle? 
Oh, I, I, I figured the champagne bottle was just like a joke about like white ladies and their and their wine. No, no, that's a very specific brand of champagne that came from like World War Two or I don't know. It has it has an importance in the history of politics. That I have no idea what the history. I know that like she spent hundreds of thousands of dollars. They said bringing it up from the the ocean floor, but I, I guess I, I see this movie as a pure romp. So I'm kind of leaning a little more on Simon's side here. Like you, there aren't. There isn't necessarily a message here. It's just that they saw a premise that they could have fun with, and they had fun with it, and it is fun. I, I think it's a lot it, of fun, and it, that it, was, if, that's it. If I had to guess how this movie got made, my guess would be Nick Hughes and Damon Lindelof were developing and working on uh, Watchmen, which was a years-long process that was, um, I mean, if you to hear Lindelof tell it, you know, emotionally very draining uh, because of the whole controversy of, you know, uh, more not wanting to have anyone, uh, you know, work on this stuff. And also because from what I understand of the development and writing of Watchmen, it was a very collaborative process where because, you know, they were dealing with issues about race and uh, American political history and uh, police brutality and all kinds of intense stuff. Um, you know, there was I, I'm many it, it seems like it was a very emotionally and politically charged writing room. And this feels to me, I don't know what order things were written in. I'm just telling you how it feels to me. Um, it feels to me like this was a uh, much like uh, Betty Gilpin's character. This whole movie feels like a blowing off steam exercise for uh, for a liberal who um, who has, you know, particularly liberal hang ups uh, about being a liberal. Uh, but. At the end of the day, like, you know, when characters are running around talking about uh, globalist cucks or like or specific things about Twitter, uh, at that point, I, my eyes do kind of glaze over because I'm just like, I don't know how I'm going to feel rewatching this in like two years. Now, are we sure that this is not an unofficial sequel to Lost? <laughs> the idea that we put 12 people who were stranded in an island. Well, it's not really an island, but I mean, it could be an island. I'm not entirely sure where they are. They're in Croatia. They could be an island. They're in the, the island of Croatia. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I like how she just assumes she's in Serbia. Like everyone just. Well, assumes. she sort of guesses. She's like Serbia, Bosnia, Croatia. Yeah, at that point, you've already you already got a character named Bojan. Like you know. You can you can make assumptions. I all right. I think we, we Betty Gilpin's character is the reason why is she so good in this movie? Why is that character so interesting? And it's because she she's obviously the smartest person out there, but she's also so bizarre. Like every every bit of her behavior is unpredictable. And she's the least predictable person in the movie. Everybody else, you can kind of tell exactly what's going to happen to them. And and really, at the beginning of the movie, they kind of get all that out of the way, too. And it's it's entertaining seeing that woman impaled twice, uh, once when she's been cut in half or blown in half. Um, but Betty Gilpin's character is... I, I'm, I'm When I first saw the movie, I just didn't know where this was going with her. I Obviously, it's going to lead to a final showdown, but her choices a lot of times are bizarre. You can't really get inside her head a whole lot through the dialogue, so you have to just watch her little facial, facial mannerisms and her body language a lot. Her body language in this is fantastic, by the way. Um, that's part of really what makes this performance so great. But right off the bat, when you first see the, her character, when we think that Emma Roberts is the protagonist, possibly, 
Uh, and then there's going to be some guy later on that you think maybe the two of them are going to be the co-leads. Well, the first thing you see Betty Gilpin do is just that old trick from The Edge, that Anthony Hopkins movie, where you put a needle on a leaf and you try to find North. And all I could think of on, upon rewatch was, why was she trying to find North? What good would that do when you have no idea what, where you are? Why do you really care about which direction you're going? Yeah, I don't, I don't know what's going on with Betty Gilpin's character. That's just another thing that makes me like her, is that she makes weird decisions like that. I don't know what, what finding which way north is. I guess that's information that you might want to have, and it might come in handy later. But uh, everything that she does, when they're in the car with that fake diplomat, and you just see her slowly grab onto the little handle at the top of the door and just pull herself up as everybody's talking, turn around and just kick the guy. You really can't tell from one minute to the next what she's thinking and what she's going to do. She's just, she, she is a little bit of a wild card to me, a little bit. Uh, even with her body language, sometimes I can't always tell what she's going to say. The things that come out of her mouth are kind of ridiculous sometimes. Well, and the, the, the distinction between her and most of the other characters, as is shown, we're, we're shown this very explicitly when we have, um, you know, a set of characters walk into a trap and all die. And then we have her walk into presumably the same trap and we get to do an A-B test of how they handle the situation. It's a really great, I mean, it's it's a, it's a simple but effective uh, bit of characterization. Um, and uh, You're talking about the gas station scene. Yes, yeah. and scenes, yeah. And um, the what what they've done is to have basically every other character be someone who runs their mouth, uh, regardless of political persuasion. And uh, in in their schema, she's smarter because she mostly doesn't say much of anything at all. She just lets other people lay out the rope for themselves and see where wh see where they step on their own dicks. Um, as in that sequence where the woman quotes the wrong uh, the, the wrong amount for cigarettes in Arkansas, the, you I, I have to I want to go back to something you said about how uh, a lot of the characters are conspiracy theorists. Um, some of the some of the sort of like contemporary inspirations for this movie um, are pretty obvious, and some are a little bit more hidden and possibly invented by me. Like the 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 fact that they cast Emma Roberts as the first fake protagonist of this movie, um, I think is interesting because I wonder if it's a nod to uh, the Canadian alt right superstar Lauren Southern, who actually looks like the way that she, I know that she, that's basically what she looks like in everything, but the way she's styled in this like really reminds me of her a lot. Well, the podcaster is Alex Ross, right? Uh, Alex, Alex Jones, Alex yeah, Jones. definitely, definitely an Alex Jones riff. Uh, Alex Ross is a, is an innocent novelist as far as I know. Um, <laughs> the, uh, the, yeah. And, and the, the entire architecture of the, of the plot itself, which, you know, centers around really, you know, the, the way that the, um, the way that the inciting incident ends up being, um, you know, this, this woman played by Hillary Swank, uh, have being part of this jokey conversation about hunting, uh, deplorables as it were, uh, huge shades of Pizzagate and the particulars of that, uh, as well as the Podesta emails and people's general sense that Hillary Clinton eats babies. She, what? She eats babies? 
Uh, that's just the theory. I di you didn't okay. get that intel from me. I don't need to. Know. <laughs> is this this is one of those um, crazy conspiracy theories? Yes, yes. This led to a shooting inside a pizza pizza restaurant. It's a okay. whole thing. Okay. Yeah, yeah. We don't need to get into that. But 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 yes. but, 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 but that's the thing. They they are con the, the, are the characters who are being hunted. Not everyone, but there's at least five of them who start talking about specific conspiracy theories. And the the, the thing about this movie is the conspiracy theory here is called Mannergate. Yeah. The, the interesting thing, though, is it, it, this is where the movie gets a little muddled for me and why I don't try to read too much into the messaging. It's because then all these guys are proven to be right, even if they're proven right later. I don't know. I don't quite understand Hillary Swank's eventual logic for you created you created this rumor, so now we're doing it. <laughs> I, I don't know if that's like justification or not. It's very, very interesting, but it's, it's, it's a little muddled and unclear to me. I guess I'm kind of in the, you know, snowball character of i don't really care why these people are doing all of this yes at, at, at one point you know characters are sort of obsessing over trying to figure out the uh the the, the particulars of the plot and the snowball character is very explicitly like they are trying to kill me uh this is simple calculus like we don't need to we don't need to get into that um the and yeah the i i I have talked about this movie with uh, some some people on the left as well, mostly younger people, because uh, I like to get like a spectrum of opinion. And some of them were of the opinion that uh, like there there were aspects of the movie that they, that they enjoyed, but that the tone of the satire ultimately ends up as kind of a a zero sum thing where the like ultimately I don't think the movie is trying to say anything specific about anything. It's it's kind of it's kind of trying to evoke something of the current moment or the current moment of two years ago, um, and uh, kind of have you have you sit with it and kind of get some smirk, laugh, so, you know, some smirky or snarky laughs out of it, uh, and then at the end at, at the end of the day, not really have anything to say about it, which I personally think is fine if you've delivered like an entertaining action movie and other people think is an unforgivable sin, which I understand, um, but. Uh, I, I I don't know the the I, I'm 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 a little scattered here because I there's so much that I that I want to say about the the conspiracy angle, particularly the fact that I think another problem with this movie is that the conspiracy stuff, like the the PizzaGate angle, is kind of funny, but uh, this movie was clearly written and developed before the rise of QAnon, which would have been so much funnier a model for this conspiracy. Uh, and unfortunately, we didn't get to have that. But Simon, like, you're talking about like Pizzagate, and as someone who's never even heard about the story, like, like you know what I mean? For most people watching this movie, they're not they're not thinking about Pizzagate. Like, you know what I mean? They're they they're sitting down to watch what is I think a really kick ass fun action horror thriller that I think works mostly because I do think it's just poking fun of people who are too much to the extreme and believe in these crazy conspiracy theories and. Like, I know it's called a political satire, but I feel like it's really just making fun of those people. You know, I think it was called a political satire after it was attacked politically uh, and, and had to be re-released. I don't believe that the initial previews were making this out to be some incredible political satire, which it definitely is not. I think poking fun is the best way to describe this because that's about as far as it gets. It's not really yeah. trying to do anything deep. And sometimes poking fun is just fine. In, in the particular case of this movie, its its tone 
it's other jokes. It's even it's non-political jokes sort of take on that. Like I mentioned the woman that gets blown up, right? She runs away. She falls in a pit. She gets impaled. She gets pulled out of the pit. Then they step on a landmine. She gets blown in half. She goes back in the pit and is impaled again. Now, wait a minute. That's Emma Stone, right? No, no. That's no, that's a different topic. person. Who the hell is Emma Stone? <laughs> but then also, Emma been... Stone is not in this movie. Yeah, Emma Stone is not. <laughs> Emma Roberts. Publicist for Emma Roberts is going crazy right now. Um, yeah, so that, that to me was just an example of this this film's kind of, this its humor, its tone. Ricky, it's she's, so... she's Eric Roberts' niece. Does that help you? <laughs> I don't know if that does or if that makes it worse. Who the hell is she in this movie? She's not Yoga Pants? Yeah, that's her. She's Yoga Pants. Yoga Pants gets blown up. No, that's a different person. It's a different lady who gets blown up. Yoga Pants gets her head blown off almost right away. Yeah. Yeah. She says, oh my god, that almost hit me, and then... Right, okay, so I'm confused. Right, yes. But yeah, anyway, so (laughs) there's not... There's nothing really deep here there's some strange choices i think that also make this movie entertaining just to watch this is why i thought it like it holds up simon uh, after a second viewing at least a year later anyway um because of all the weird choices like keeping hillary swank just shooting the back of her head for the entire movie i kept asking myself why i really don't i still don't know what that decision's all about i'm not really sure yeah, what we all know who she are. is yeah, but what what even for the character for the sake of the character does this character need to be mysterious for some reason I don't understand. I think they, they. I think that she desires to be mysterious, and I think the the one of the sort of, I think one of the more effective bits of of satire is the fact that the the perpetrators, Hillary Swank and her friends, are obsessed not just with killing all these people, but they're really fixated on the people understanding why they're being killed, <laughs> yeah. which is really funny. <laughs> So badly, especially the two gas station owners. They seem to be the yes. ones. That they're very thirsty for them to understand why they're being killed. Yeah, yeah. It's got some, I mean, but otherwise this movie's got some clever kills. It's got so many weird things. Betty Gilpin's performance is a treat that I think I'm going to be going back to and just looking at over and over again to see what she was doing. I'll probably parse it a little bit better uh, with each viewing. Because sometimes I'm, I, I, this time, this reviewing, I did just get sucked back into the entertainment. It was a late night thing. I thought, you know, it's such, it's such an easy, easy movie for anybody to roll with, I feel like. Also, because it's only 90 minutes long. There's not an ounce of fat here. This isn't exactly the most stylish thriller ever. Um, I was trying to, to take a look at the filmmaking the second time around. There's not a ton there other outside of some great edits. Well, hold on. I would argue that the kitchen fight is just as good as the living room fight in Kill Bill between Vernita Green and the Bride. The choreography is very good at, in that end fight. They they destroy the entire set. It's amazing. The um, in general, the action is pretty fluid, easy to keep track of. There's uh, a, a there's a there's a pretty decent amount of uh, practical gore and effects that I really liked, uh, especially. Uh, one of my pet peeves is CGI blood. Really hate it, and I'm sure there's some in this movie. Uh, Emma Roberts' also... head getting blown off has definitely has some CGI blood yes. mixed in with practical. For sure, that like I don't mind uh, the use of CGI blood where it makes sense. Uh, but you know, if 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 you're just like if you're just like doing a knife wound or something or a simple gunshot, you know, come on, practical is just better. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, the, the focus on there's a fo- definite ah there's a definite focus on practical effects here. 
definite focus on um, just like old school stunt. Well, it feels like old school stunt work. Um, I loved how over the top the fight choreography was in terms of like when Betty Gilpin kicks Hillary Swank, she goes flying like eight feet across the room, which yeah. is definitely not like Betty Gilpin does have uh, her physical presence in the movie is amazing. She seems so much bigger than she actually is. Um, just because of how much strength she's, she's like projecting, uh, and uh, the, the the fight scenes really lean into that, which I enjoyed. Um, well, they had to actually train for hand to hand combat, so I mean, you know what I mean. They they not only did their research, like she knew how to use a gun. She had to like work with some people from the military, so that's why it comes across as being very very realistic. And I think you're right; like her physical presence is is incredible. I mean, that's why compared to uh uma thurman in kill bill like playing the bride like she's that good if not better i did a weird thing that i almost never do after i see a movie i googled her height i wanted to see if she was actually <laughs> very tall she's, she's she's regular height okay because she does come across as tall i guess you're right i absolutely bought that she was like a 510 5'11 person um just because of that physical presence she is five seven. Yeah, she's just regular, regular. She's a little taller than me because I'm not very tall. That's um, disappointing. The, I just assumed that she was tall. Yeah, we um we should also talk about the 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 non lead casting in this movie uh, because th there's like another sort of even if you don't really enjoy the movie or like the or the the political like non committalness of it uh, spoils it for you. You can still enjoy the strange parade of cameos um, <laughs> that seem like they were really just pulled out of a hat. Like, oh, here's Glenn Howard and from Always Sunny. Here's Macon Blair from Green Room and all sorts of other stuff. Uh, looking very strange, clean shaven and friendly. Um, Sturgill Simpson, the country singer, uh, is in here. Vanilla Nice, right? Vanilla Nice, yeah. Um, Ike Barinholtz as like kind of an operator i don't know who that really is weird uh he's um he was on the mindy project and he's in this movie i don't know how else to describe who he is uh, you've seen him before rick there's no uh, that's a guarantee like this guy i can't remember what i've seen him in but i've seen him uh, in a lot pretty much universally comedies no idea who this guy is you're also talking about the person who did not recognize emma stone i mean emma, Ro that's emma roberts <laughs> No, nope, uh, do not know him. All I know is my favorite character, who isn't Crystal in the movie, was maybe Dawn. I could not stop laughing. And Gary, you know, you know, did we mention that this movie is really funny? Like, I could not stop laughing during the scene when they're in the train, and and then the, the guy starts yelling at them. He's like, "You're a bunch of crises actors, a bunch of crises actors." Like, <laughs> I, I don't know. I just thought that scene was funny. I think this movie is uh, funny. I I will say that that brings to mind like the one the one thing that I would uh, tighten up. Hold if on, I were save it for after the what? break. Ah, fine, I'll save it. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I I I will just say uh, before I get into specifics. Uh, yes, the movie is very is a very tidy length. It seems like an even tidier length because the like three false openings make it seem shorter than it really is. Um. And, uh, yeah, as you said, not a lot. There's a little bit of fat, but definitely not a lot. No, and there's not a lot, there's not really any story either. It's just simply no. them traveling from one place to the next. That's it. It's just no. get to the mansion. Oh, that's all. Just get to that the reminds mansion. me. 
there's something I have to mention. People describe the opening of the movie with the with the characters in the open field and getting the weapons and all that stuff, and it may make them think of uh, of Battle Royale. It may make them think of Lost with the scoring and the you know Lindelof involvement and the mystery. But you know what I really thought of was Cube. Uh, really? The, yes, I thought of Cube because of the strangers waking up in a perilous situation with rules they do not understand. Yeah. Um, and trying to like, it, and really the, the 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 thing that it could have picked up from Cube, and the thing that I love about Cube is that at the, at, by the end of Cube, you have no idea why what is happening is happening. Uh, it has no real purpose, and the fact that it has no purpose is the purpose, and it's actually quite spooky. And mm-hmm. here, of course, you find out everything in exacting detail, and it's, uh, you know, it's just not the same kind of thing. But that that is definitely what I thought of. That's an interesting one. God, I haven't, I haven't thought about Cube in a long time, but... Uh... Classic CanCon. <laughs> you gotta love it. It definitely has, like, I think most people will probably think Hunger Games for sure. Um just seeing Hunger, that box, oh yeah, a, a box lot of, of Hunger weapons games in there dropped sure. into the middle of a field. There's no question they're going to be thinking that. Uh, it has nothing to do with that. I, and they they get that whole thing out of the way almost immediately so that we are really only dealing with a few people. It's very obvious that this was a... Another thing I like about this movie is just how low budget it comes across as. There really yes. aren't a lot of set pieces. This is seems like a very... I don't want to say simple because I don't know what they went through in shooting. But it seems like a very simple movie to shoot. Um, just a perfect little fun idea that you can knock off quickly, and you don't have to worry about a, a massive production over. Yeah, and you kind of they kind of throw all the effort into a few set pieces. Mm-hmm. Yep, you've got your big fight in the mansion at the end, but outside of that, and you okay, you've got you know a train that you're gonna have to rent at some point in time. Um, maybe set you got to set up it's that. It's not a mansion. It's not a manor. <laughs> it's just a home. That's right. Don't forget. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, with that uh, decided, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll do our five questions. Here's another clip from the hunt. Hey there. Help you? Yeah, pack of lights, please. Coming right up. You want to fill her up? I don't have a car. Oh, he walked over. Oh. Everything okay? I lost my wallet. Oh. For um, emergency. You want some matches with that? Yeah. A little sweaty. What state is this? Sorry. You don't understand the question? Oh, no, I didn't. Just... Most people know where they are. <laughs> Why ain't most people? You're in the glorious state of Arkansas. All right, that was another clip from The Hunt. We have reached the portion of the podcast where we ask our five questions, which 
seem to change week to week, but I think we've kind of maybe nailed something down. Uh, anyway, we do always like to start out positive. And so the first question, of course, is Simon, what is your favorite scene from the hunt? Uh, I'm going to steal this one because it's so obviously the standout. Um, there's a scene about three quarters of the way through when uh, Betty Gilpin has beaten a military contractor oh. uh, into into <laughs> submission. And uh, she kind of treats him with a, I call him a military contractor. He's more like a safety contractor. He was in like, what was it, the National Reserve or something? So like not real. Not yeah, he was, he was National Guard. He's kind of a takeoff on Dale Die, that con military consultant's always in the movies, I suppose. Oh, yeah. Um, I didn't realize. Anyway, uh, so the premise of the scene is that she kind of treats him a little bit differently because she knows he wasn't like an architect of the plan, just a contractor. So um, they do have kind of a conversation, which she doesn't really have with anyone else in the movie up until then. And she's, at one point, she's, she where another movie would stick in a long monologue from this character about what she's been through, how she feels about it, what she's going to do next. Instead, what they have Betty Gilpin do, and she does this so well, is where she's, she says something to the effect of like, it's just that, and then she just makes a sound like, ah, or something. <laughs> yeah. like, I'm, 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 I'm not doing justice to this. But basically, they replace a monologue with just a sound of uh, of exhaustion and like quiet fury, and they take what could have been a five minute scene and make it two, and it's a it's beautifully realized, and I and I love the capper on it, uh, which I will leave for people to actually watch. Uh, easily, easily my choice for best scene. Yeah, I thought I did not think anybody was going to pick that one, but. Um... I love that scene. It also throws it demonstrates some of the quirkiness of the script where when she asks him how much he's getting paid and he says nothing. What an odd thing to throw in um, that doesn't seem to really lead anywhere. He says that he owed Athena a favor, but that means absolutely nothing when it comes to the rest of the script. It's just an odd little detail that doesn't serve any purpose whatsoever. And it would have been so easy for him to have just been a paid consultant. So I, I was almost like obsessing over it after watching the movie. Why, what, what was the favor? Why did he owe her a favor? Um, what was the relationship between those two? It was just a strange little throwaway line of dialogue that I, I, I love all the little things from that scene, her, her facial expressions when she's detailing how she just wants to vent, all that kind of stuff. I kind of looked at it like he's like her in a sense that he's not taking a side. He's just doing a job. But why not just get paid? Sorry? Why not just get paid? Why actually ask that question and then say no? Well, because he he owes he owes her a favor. He said it though. Yeah, but my point is, if you're writing a line of dialogue and it's supposed to have purpose, what is the purpose of that? <laughs> I don't know. Well, but I but if know. he's getting paid, like there's a difference between getting paid and and doing it because you owe someone a favor. There's more honor in it. I think. I think she just. I don't know. Sure. Yeah, I could have made him, you know. Like he he's basically not selling out to do an evil deed or do something that he knows is wrong. He's doing it for a different reason. Sure. Yeah. But at the end of the day, he's still doing it. Uh and I think that one of the reasons I think that's the best scene is because it does actually draw a line in the sand, right? Like it says, "Yeah, okay, you may not be one of them, but at, at the end of the day, you're you're still one of the bad guys." Right. Uh, and I did appreciate that. 
Well, I'm going to have to come up with something different now. Uh, Rick, what is your favorite scene? <laughs> the best scene in the movie is the scene at the gas station. The scene in which Crystal walks into the gas station. And the reason is because I think Greg Zobel does a fantastic job as a director, even though he's only directed, what, three movies, I think. But he's very patient, and he knows how to build up suspense. And the way he uses his camera and the way he catches her facial expressions and her physical movement, it becomes clear as day before she even attacks the two older actors, before she even picks up the, ha uh, the shotgun. If you didn't already clue in, you knew right away, right then and there, that she was going to be the main protagonist of the movie. I think it's incredibly well staged. I just love everything about it. I love the writing. And... Um, the line that she delivers at the very end before she shoots the old lady, I think it's going to be one of those lines that people are just going to sort of like quote in years to come when they talk about this movie. Like, I really like, you know, you made fun of me, Simon, when I said it's an iconic performance. And I, I really do think maybe it's too early for me to say that, but I do think it's going to be an iconic performance like Samara Weaving from uh, from Ready or Not. To be to be clear, I only think it won't be an iconic performance just because I don't see this movie having an audience in the future. Oh, I think it's going to find a huge cult following. Yeah, for sure, for sure. I think once people – we talk about this all the time on the podcast. It's really hard to review and enjoy a movie properly when you just watch the movie and you're caught up in the conversation. Whatever the conversation is, be it in this case like the political divide in the United States or whatever conspiracy theories – because you're caught up in the conversation. That's why I personally love to review and discuss movies after like a year or two after they are released or even 10 years later. Oh yeah, later. I totally agree. Because you remove your, like, and also expectations, right? You, you remove yourself from the conversation. You remove yourself from expecting whatever it is that you expect or anticipate. And it's, it, I feel like you get a more honest view and review of a movie, which is why we usually pick older movies when we review movies on the podcast. Anyhow, that is my favorite scene. Yeah, that's obviously a really good one. Uh, I've been racking my brains to try to come up with something um, better than that that assault <laughs> on the, the bunker. Um, I, I can't really. That is my favorite scene. But I'm also just going to point out that I really did like the um, the scene in the field. So everybody's woken up. Everybody kind of gets together. I like the false beginning to that. I like how it throws you off. It establishes fake protagonists. Uh, I think it, that it did a good job of setting the tone for what was to come. Um, I'm not sure how else you would have done that, e even more so than the opening scene in the airplane where the guy gets, you know, stabbed in the eye with a, a shoe heel. Um, I like. I think the tone of that that first that first sort of like chaos carnage in the in the field is it does a good job for me that that to me establishes the movie and then from the from there on i knew it was going to be a, a great ride like just a fun little romp that it wasn't going to be taking itself too seriously that none of these characters there was a little bit of a quirky sense of humor to it and that usually means they're never going to get very serious um so i'm going to go with that one but my true favorite scene is still the bunker one all right that being said simon we're finally we finally reached that point uh if there was one thing that you could change about this film what would it be all right, finally, I can do this. Um, the, I mean, there are some general things about the tone of the script and, like, some of the more specific references that I would take issue with. But if I could zero in on one thing, the the sequence in the, uh, I guess, uh, at, at the army base or whatever it is, you'd, you'd like... The uh, refugee camp. Oh, yes, the, yes, the, the, the Croatian refugee camp. 
Um, so when I saw this, when I watched the sequence, honestly, both times that I watched this movie, I had the same thought. Um, it feels like Damon Lindelof, who is sort of like a screenwriter's screenwriter, even if like a lot of his credits are things that people make fun of. I imagine that he really agonized over how can we find out where these people are and like what the what what the parameters of what these people can do is like the people in charge. And I, I imagine him writing like six or seven or eight different versions of this sequence. And then ultimately just like throwing up his hands saying, fuck it, refugee camp. Um, <laughs> and, you know, and, and like the, the whole, the entire purpose of that sequence is literally just so we can pick up a few pieces of information that honestly, I don't even think we really needed and don't add anything to like the texture or themes of the movie like is it important that it's croatia not really um it's you know it's just like a random place for them to name and like make make some you know some slight jokes about uh i would have liked to have seen them get to that information some other way or just excise that stuff completely because i th i felt like literally when that train creaks it's like it, it felt like the movie coming to a pause which was very strange it does. The movie slows down right there. Even the first time I saw it, I knew I didn't like that scene. Um, for whatever reason, it, it takes all that momentum that had been building. They had been hunted. And I know you need a little bit of a break after they've been hunted and you have the, you have the gas station scene, which is fine. Um, you can have that little break. And they sort of had that on the train. They didn't need to also then take another break. Yeah, exactly. Position. Yeah. So it was a time to build momentum back up again. They didn't really do that. But it's over, like everything in this movie, if you don't like it, it's over with pretty quick. <laughs> so yep. fairly quick. It just is a misstep. Uh, Rick, what about you? What would you change? I'm not sure. I don't know if I would change anything. I think the movie's too short for me to actually want to change something. Would you Would you save the pig? <laughs> the pig doesn't die. I forgot. The pig, the pig dies. shot in the bunker, yeah. Oh my they God, shoot the hell right. out of that pig. No. No, I would not save the pig. What? No. I don't know. It it can't be hard when something is this compact, but there's all sorts of little quirky, weird decisions that I would probably change. Like, showing the back, I wouldn't inject mystery into Hilary Swank's character. I just don't see the purpose of that either. Uh, I think it's a distraction, and it builds her up into something that she's not. See, I, I I liked that aspect. I liked uh, shooting her from the back and building up her mystique because yeah. it uh, not be. I think the whole, at least to me, the whole point is that it doesn't work. Like we know who Hillary Swank is. We may have even already seen her in the trailers. We know that she's the architect of this plan. We know she's a dummy mm -hmm. uh, because of you know certain things, and uh, we know that she thinks highly of herself and wants to be seen as this like mysterious um like you know she uh, pulling the strings of like the uh, you know pulling the strings of the marionette like the like a, a master manipulator who's going to show them exactly how they fucked up and that they fucked with the wrong person like she wants uh that like that Uma Thurman gravitas or whatever uh so in that sense it makes sense to me yeah, I, I, I wondered if it was maybe that they were trying to make her almost be what the conspiracy theorists thought she was the entire time. So she is this this figure behind the curtain pulling all the strings, just like, you know, a QAnon would think about her or something like that, that there there is this whole big conspiracy. And then when you actually see her face, you, she's revealed to be just some 
cog in the corporate machine, I guess, um, who gets laid off, that she's really not anything special. See, when I say that this this movie would have been funnier if it were made in the QAnon era, can you imagine how great it would have been if Hillary Swank's character turned out to be a hologram? Like, <laughs> fuck. <laughs> Amazing. A pedophile hologram. A pedophile hologram. Come on. <laughs> the hunt, too. It's time. Let's make it happen. I think it's just stuff like that that, that didn't get... It doesn't need to be fleshed out anymore. I wouldn't want this movie to be any longer than it is. But I think you could have made some smarter choices with some of these things. So with me, it's just like tiny little things like that that I would have... Little tweaks here and there with the script. And that's just one example of something I would have done. Um, Rick, have you have you come up with something? No, this movie is great. I would not change a single thing. I love it. Like, I know I know some people would maybe argue to change the ending and have, a bit, have it be a bit more ambiguous. But I can argue that just because she says that they got the wrong crystal doesn't mean she's actually telling the truth. Like if you really want to look at it like that, I, I just, I, I think, no, I really like this movie. Like I said, 90 minutes, not an ounce of fat. There's not anything I would trim. My second favorite scene, and it, I, I want to mention it cause it touches what you just mentioned. I love the punchline of uh, Hillary Swank's Athena, not understanding or knowing the plot of animal farm. Uh, because it's it's such a it's a great punchline to like twenty years of people making Orwell references on the internet uh, unthinkingly, and it's one of the it's one of the only specific political jokes that I think actually works. That's true, but it's a subtle one that only works if you actually know what Animal Farm is about. If yes. you've read Animal Farm. I don't know if they even make kids read Animal Farm in school. But, anymore, but, but at but. the end, she actually asked her, you actually read Animal Farm? So I think that if you haven't read Animal Farm and you watched a movie, you would probably do some research and maybe read Animal Farm? I'm not sure. Maybe. I'm not sure, I'm not sure either. I might uh, change the type of cheese she uses because I disagree. Using brie cheese on a grilled cheese sandwich is just very no, bizarre. It was Gruyere. It was Gruyere. Oh, I thought she said Brie, too. I completely misheard that line of dialogue. What is wrong with I was you thinking, people? I was like, Brie, Brie as a grilled cheese sandwich? That sounds terrible. No, it's Gruyere. Gruyere is a great choice. All right, okay. so I take it back. <laughs> All I right. did not change anything, take it back. including the cheese. There's nothing wrong with this movie. Exactly. <laughs> the movie this movie perfect. <laughs> well, I'm going to skip you, ahead. No, wait, wait, wait. Sorry. I want to say something. I'm really upset that somebody here didn't vote for the best movies of 2020 because had someone voted for this movie, it would have made our list of the best movies of 2020. And I feel like there wasn't a website on the internet that had the balls to put this movie on the list of best movies of tw- <laughs> movies of 2020, even though it was one of the best movies of 2020. Are you talking about me? No, He's talking, talking about, about me Patrick. too. Oh. I didn't vote because I barely saw any movies this year that I would even qualify as being on a best of. I told Rick that I had two movies, only two movies that I would vote for. One was The Best of Night and one was The Hunt. And that was it otherwise everything else i saw was pretty much garbage i thought and that includes mank and the trial of the chicago seven and all these other movies that made the list well those movies did not make our list what are you talking about okay okay yeah (laughs) no they didn't they didn't they didn't but i hated those movies so okay we got to move on but here's the thing so we did not list the movies in any order because it was so split but we needed a certain amount of votes per movie in order for a movie to qualify for the list so for example if you voted for the hunt and you were the only person who voted for the hunt and you put it at the top of your list it would automatically be be disqualified because you were the only person but there yeah. was at least one or two more people that voted for the hunt but it did not get enough votes to make the list but we decided right. to not put the list in order because it was a very bizarre year cinemas were closed and a lot of people didn't get get around to watching a lot of movies but 
regardless, I still think overall we had an okay list. I just, it was a very weird year. And I think when I look at the list and I've watched almost all of the movies on the list, the ones that I tend to agree with are the genre films. And I think that this movie should be on the list because I think 10 years from now, five years from now, people are going to appreciate this movie more than they, than they did in 2020. Can, That's can a reminder say, to all the kids that one vote counts, by the way. <laughs> can I just say, uh, unordered lists, underrated. Don't order your lists. Yeah. Yep. It's just a nice little snapshot of a year. Exactly. Don't all obsess right, so, over one movie being better than another. No, no. Uh, so, Rick, since you could not find a flaw, I'm skipping ahead to the what is normally our fourth question, is the Howard Hawks test. All right, you couldn't find a flaw in this movie, but it does this pass the three great scenes and no bad ones. Yes, I do think it does, because I don't think there's a bad scene in this movie. Like, I'm sorry, and this movie has at least three great scenes. I love the scene at the gas station, the two scenes at the gas station. I think those are great scenes. I think the opening is great. I think the ending is fantastic. It's one of the best action scenes in recent memory, maybe since, like, The Raid 2. I... I do think it has three great scenes, but I don't think it has a bad scene. So I do think it does pass the Howard Hawks test. Uh, Simon, what about you? I'd say on a technicality, it passes the Hawks test. Like there's probably enough uh, individual moments and individual scenes that bug me uh, to make up a scene. But are there any individual bad scenes? I'd say the sit down interview with the, with the Croatian like detectives or whatever is uh not great uh and could definitely be excised from the movie without losing much of anything is it bad uh probably not really yeah that's my problem here too is that uh, i can't find anything to be actually bad there's just scenes that i would have rewritten if i would have gotten the chance um but does it have three great iconic scenes that's that's the other thing like three absolutely what you call knockdown flat out great okay here's the thing hear me out Again, in 10 years from now, when people talk about this movie, they are going to reference the opening. What a great way to open a movie. They will reference the ending because the whole fight sequence between those two ladies is incredible. So those two scenes, plus the scene that Simon mentioned, plus the scene that you mentioned, plus the convenience store gas station scene. Come on, for sure. You might you might not agree on which of the three scenes are the three great scenes, but there's got to be three great scenes. I'm having a difficult time remembering the last time a major film ended with a knockdown drag out to the death fight between two women. (laughs) I I can't remember either to tell you the truth. Like I know that that happens in Kill Bill, but it's not the culmination. Mm -hmm. And in Ready or Not, it doesn't end with the the two women. It ends with her and a man, right, fighting? I can't remember who the last victim is in that movie. That movie is fantastic if you haven't seen it. I still have yet to see that movie. Oh my god. If you like The Hunt, you need to watch Ready or Not. It's amazing. I know. Uh, All right. Well, since we have nothing but praise for this Howard uh, Hawks-worthy movie. um, (laughs) (laughs) Who is... This is the easiest question that I think, Rick, that we've ever had to do on this one. This is the easiest answer we've ever had to give for who is the MVP of The Hunt? Orwell. Orwell. <laughs> the pig? <laughs> the pig. No, it's for sure Betty Gilpin. Look, I watch Glow. I love Glow. She's great on Glow. I don't ever remember seeing her on anything else, be it a TV show or a movie. Uh, she blew me away. I cannot believe how good she is in this movie. Unbelievable. 
that's the main takeaway I want people to to have is that there's like lots of things about this movie that I enjoy, but without Betty Gilpin, the movie wouldn't work at all. Uh, like she, there's no one else to possibly name in this in this category. Uh, fucking delete all available copies of Die Hard and remake it with Betty Gilpin. Like, <laughs> you she's holy shit, that's a good idea. Remake right? Die Hard with her. Yeah, or just make a new Die Hard. Never mention John McClane. It's Jane McClane now, baby. It would. She, there's something about her choices made this, and I feel like it had to have been a choice as to how she played this character. That that couldn't have all been on page. I feel like she took something and they workshopped it, and then she just ran with it. Uh, and that I, I, choice is what makes this movie so incredibly watchable and rewatchable, by the way. She is what makes this movie rewatchable. If she's not in it, I probably would have chuckled a few times, had a good time, and would have instantly forgot about this movie. Yes. But she's now seared into my brain. This character is so fascinating. Well, and and something I want to, I, I think, is worth making clear. I don't think it's a great performance because the character is so uh, human and believable and relatable. The character is not human and believable and relatable. She's more like a special effect uh, than a character. Like she just there is there has never been a human alive who behaves as and and thinks as this character does. Uh, and that's what I think that's that's why I enjoyed it so much uh, was as you were saying, Patrick, the the sort of the volatility of the character and the. Um, uh, her just sheer, I guess, self-possessedness. Um, she's totally a writer's construction, but mm -hmm. Betty Gilpin uh, brings it to life, uh, if not reality. Uh, I don't think there is any reality, but definitely to life. And I just, I need her, I need her to be in way, like, top-lining way more action movies. Like, I looked at her IMDb page, and there's, like, one thing. I was like, no, I, someone get her on the, like, Gina Carano direct-to-video uh, pipeline, just churning these out. Mm-hmm. I want to say, like, even though this is, you're right, it's not a human being that they've constructed, she does bring a richness to this character. Her performance adds layers that make this a fascinating character, even if there's no way you could relate to this person. <laughs> yeah. Um, Rick, I take it you probably agree on this one, or are you picking somebody else? No, no, no. I, I've already okay. chosen her, for sure. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Uh, all right, so, we, you know, we've, we've kind of waffled back and forth on our fifth question. There was, like, you know, which kind of moment are you going to take away from this movie which we can still answer i do feel like this is a, a great opportunity though for what is the audience for the hunt going forward or is oh. there going to be one i'm you know what i'm holding firm on this this movie is not going to find anything more than a very marginal audience because uh the people like no liberals generally don't have the patience for making fun of liberals. So they're out. Uh, conservatives wouldn't like this movie because it relentlessly mocks conservatives, uh, even if they are the sort of put upon people in this film. Um, people who like, really the only people who can enjoy for whom this movie is for is people who have the ability and the desire to see the social commentary aspects of this movie as sort of like the seasoning on the popcorn you can brush off or ignore because like you said, Patrick, it doesn't add, it, 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 it's, it's not a substantive critique of anything, nor is it trying to be. And that was the, that, that was the, the, the error of the marketing. People will forever assume 
that this movie is some kind of statement film uh, and treat it like a communicable disease. Well, I disagree. I think on the international landscape, like if you look at entire world, this movie is going to find a huge audience around the world of people that love genre films who are going to be able to easily remove themselves from any political statement they, that they think that the movie can be making because it's mostly directed towards people in the States. I don't live in the USA, so I'm not going to speak for anyone in the United States of America. This is why I don't like this question, because for me, this movie is for anyone who likes action movies, anyone who likes dark comedies, anyone who likes horror films. Well, and part of my reason I think this question is interesting for this movie is because this movie was sort of unceremoniously killed, and it never really got its shot at winning over an audience. I'm not sure that it would have, but remember, the theaters closed as soon as this thing hit them. Right, but Patrick, aren't like some of the greatest cult films, like like if you look at some of the greatest cult films, they have similar stories. Like for whatever reason, they did not reach an audience because of a rating system and or it 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 wasn't released in enough cinemas and or controversy or whatever it is and then 10 20 years five years later it becomes like a huge cult film no but i think the problem here is that and i don't know you could be right that over time in international markets maybe things will will ease off but i think what really killed them locally was uh the first marketing campaign wasn't good and then the marketing campaign that tried to capitalize on the controversy was even worse because it tried to uh, it tried to make it a cult movie like immediately. Like they, they thought, OK, the best thing we can do here is double down and uh, get like an outsider cred to this movie so that it can become a cult film. And I think that just made it look lame. Um, and I, yeah, I think that's, a, that's a permanent problem. It made it look lame to people who didn't want to go see a political movie, and then it also made it seem lame to people who did want to go see something controversial and then were disappointed in yeah, Don't tell of... me what's controversial. <laughs> I'll decide what's controversial. <laughs> exactly. It's, it reminded me a little bit of Mother's campaign. Mother was trying to convince people that it was a horror movie. Which it clearly was, I mean, it is, sort of, maybe, but it's it was not a traditional horror movie, and it drew people into theaters. They were ultimately, like, throwing tomatoes at the screen, and um, that movie was was instantly killed, too, as well. This is, this is what annoys me about film criticism, though. Someone goes to watch a movie, they read it whatever which way they want to read it. They write a negative review or bash the movie, and everyone plays follow the leader, everyone's a bunch of sheep. And everyone starts bashing the movie before they see the movie or they walk in and their mind is already made up because they've read so-and-so so-and-so's review and they're going to hate the movie because they think it's making a political statement, which it's not. Like, this is what I hate about film criticism when you watch a movie too soon. Like, that's why I think, like, we watched this movie. I watched it for the first time in 2020. Granted, the last day of 2020, but whatever. You watched it for the first time last year and so did you, Simon. And we are reviewing a movie, like, months later. And I think it's, it's, we just, it's more of an honest review. I, I don't... I mean, maybe you're right, Simon. I just choose to believe you're wrong because I think that people are just smarter. Word of mouth can solve this movie's problem. This podcast can 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 just give it a boost. Forget about. It. I mean, <laughs> I I mean, I don't say that like thinking that we have like millions of, of followers, but it's a chain reaction. One podcast does it. The next podcast does it. The next YouTuber starts talking about how good the movie is. Someone writes a retrospective piece one year later. The next thing you know, people are just like, "Wow, I'm going to check out this movie. I'm going to give it a, ch a shot and give it a chance." I mean, Patrick still hasn't seen Ready or Not. It's amazing. Watch the movie. <laughs> like, you know I, I mean? I'm going to, but that's one I want to see, and I have wanted to see since since it first hit the festival circuit. So I'm going to watch that movie. Um, 
this one, it's just about, I think if people do watch this movie, word of mouth will be kind to it, and it ultimately will achieve that cult status. I, I, I know Simon, and you're very caught up in in politics, right? Which is great. Yes. But, like, most people aren't, right? And so they're just going to, like, watch the movie, and they're going to be able to remove themselves from whatever Pizzagate you're talking. Like, I mean, I don't even know what Pizzagate is. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> like, like, maybe I sound like, unintelligent and like no. silly but oh, you're, you're smarter if you don't know about pizza yeah. gate these yeah. are the things you learn them and they make you dumber but this is the thing like I, what i'm trying to say here is i feel people do not like the movie or say they don't like the movie because it goes against their specific beliefs or political views but again i don't think the movie is taking any kind of side i think the movie is just poking fun of people who take conspiracy theories too far anyhow this movie passed the howard hawks test that's all i know so fuck you <laughs> I guess that's a great place to wrap this up. Uh, I mean, would you guys not recommend this movie to your friends? One hundred percent. Well, I have, and like I said, I think word of mouth. If people actually do take those recommendations and watch this movie, I think word of mouth will be very kind to this movie, and it will gain a cult following. Okay. My second question is: Would you be afraid someone would get mad at you for recommending the movie? No, not at all. No. I don't think anyone anyone that I know is not going to get offended by this movie. But that I'm aware the, of anyway. The last thing that I want to say about this movie on this podcast is if if I was recommending it to someone, I would say, like, even if you think the political stuff is bad, which a lot of, I think a lot of it is bad, uh, it's bad in like a lame way. It's just it's it's a it's a toothless way, it's a dithering way. It's not bad in a in a like doing harm to specific communities way you know or an insulting way it's yeah it, it's also not trying to insult anybody it's just poking fun and if you don't find it to be particularly funny it's still harmless yeah harmless is a is a good is a good word for this movie but also i would say let you're right ricky in the sense that the audience the the ideal audience of this movie is really just people who enjoy action comedies or like you know genre films with a sense of humor that's really it uh, because it's a good one of those. Mm -hmm. It's it, it's also it seems it can be very mainstream. This could have been a fairly mainstream movie that that turned a nice little profit and did well in the theaters. There's just it's so innocuous in, in its uh, ambition, but it's just it's it's well done. But it, but it's very well done. That's a downbeat way to end the podcast for an actual fairly upbeat, I would say, <laughs> movie. <laughs> but. Uh, but that's how we're going to do it. Uh, Simon, where can we find you online? Can we find you online? Uh, you can't. I just want to leave you with one thought. Uh, Kevin Feige, who runs the Marvel Cinematic Universe, is a real actual... Okay, we're universe. going to edit that part out of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> no, you have to leave that part in. Otherwise, I'm not doing the show anymore. That's going to be trending on Twitter tomorrow. Um in certain circles that's going to be on the dark web disney i will see you in court <laughs> i like my chances <laughs> um thankfully i also am not don't do not have an online presence at the moment i am looking forward to writing a little bit more for the website in 2021 i think that's definitely going to happen things are trending that way with with work and stuff like that i think i'm going to be able to find the time this year so uh, I think I might try to tackle maybe maybe I'll, I'll write something about the hunt, Ricky. Maybe that'll be my retrospective. Yeah, we, uh, we need a review, so do it. Yeah, there we go. Um, but outside of 
besides that, where can people find the podcast? Where can people find you online? So the Twitter handle is Sorted Cinema, and of course the website is Goombastomp.com. Actually, you know what? The easiest way to find the podcast is SortedCinema.com, really. And you can listen to the podcast on Podbean, iTunes, YouTube, Stitcher, like you name it. It's everywhere on the internet. And if you like what you hear, give us a rating, and I guess that's about it. All right, that should do it for this week. Next week we're going to be back with uh, something probably less controversial. I don't know. Um, we're going with Western again. Obviously, it's my pick. Uh, we're going to do the Outlaw Josie Wales. We'll see you then. <laughs>